You know, I think if uh, you were to think about it, we all have these moments of just intense failure yeah. in our lives. You can tell us those moments of intense failure because you wish you didn't remember them. And you try to push them out of your mind, and then, you know what, they kind of creep back in like, for like half a second. And you're like, oh, hey, remember that time? You're like, no, I don't remember it. I'm pushing it away. I'm pushing it away. Expel that from my memory. You know, and for me, one of the most embarrassing, awful moments of failure was when I was in kindergarten. My dad's sitting back there. He'll remember this story. Uh, we'll find out. Oh, hey, he will definitely remember it. Um, my dad would take me camping for my birthday along with a couple of friends. Very, very brave. Now being, you know, a father of two boys that are uh, of the age of kindergartners, I don't know how or why you would take, you know, kids camping for a birthday party at the age of, you know, five or six. That's just insane to me. Uh, but nonetheless, my dad decided to do it. And this is on my first big camping trip, my first big birthday parties where I actually cared, you know, about, about all my friends being there. And, you know, as boys, we're going to do the boy thing when we go camping. We're going to go pee in the woods. And, you know, that all happens. But I'm like, hey, it's my birthday. I'm going to take it up one more level. And I'm not going to say anything. So I'm go in the woods. Go number two by myself. But, of course, as a kindergartner, I didn't think that went all the way through. So I'm like, well done it. I have nothing to actually clean myself up with this moment in time. So I grab some leaves and of course, don't worry, it's not poison ivy, it's not going there. But it's pretty bad though, okay? So I grab, you know, the waxiest, biggest leaf ever and of course it does nothing. And I end up literally smearing myself. And so then of course, as a young man, I, I, I have the decision, what am I going to do with this? I'm stuck in the woods by myself, covered in my own feces, and now I have to go back to my friends. And so I, you know, in all my shame, walk back, you know, covered, stinking. My dad has to hose me down in front of my friends. And it is just one of those moments, you know, that you could just get out of your memory, you know, like that actually happened. But I'm sure all of us have those memories, don't we? Perhaps not quite like mine, but you have your own moments of failure. Whether it was as a child or, you know, recently could have been yesterday or this morning. Yeah. You know, but the, the great thing about failure, I think, that all of us run to is, you know, failure loves company. Right? When you hear about somebody else's failure, you, you, if you were honest with yourself, you kind of like hearing about other people's screw-ups, don't you? All of you laughed at me, right? You're all like, yeah, look at Jeff. What an idiot. Right? It makes you not, it makes us not feel as bad as our mistakes, right? It's just what we do. You know, this past week, uh, Kevin um, Durant injured his knee. And those of you that don't know, he switched teams to Golden State, the team that they lost to in the, semi in the Western Conference Finals, and he gets injured. And Twitter blows up, and they're just ridiculing the guy. Like, that's what you get. You should have got hurt. Here it comes. You, you know, uh, you basically turned your back on everybody else, and that's what you get. And it's like, man, everybody was just relishing in his failure and the fact that he's out for the season. But that's just what we do naturally. Yeah. You know, we're not the only ones who fail. And we take 
comfort in that. This thing is bothering me to no end. It looks cool, thank you. Pulling it off, you pulling it off? Okay, great. Uh, you just wanna hit the slide button, the next one there. Great. Today we're gonna talk about failure of faith. Because in our lives, we don't just fail in perhaps uh, a camping experience, but we also fail in our faith. And we have these failures of faith, and we're going to look at Abram here in, the, here in where he has a failure of faith. And starting uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine. There was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's encouraging for a husband to say that to a wife, isn't it? But when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is your wife. Then they will kill me. But they will let you live. So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. We'll stop right there. No, Abram, <clears throat> prior to this, was extremely faithful, right? We see that God commands him and calls him out and says, hey, I want you to go. And what does he do? He picks up everything, pick, takes his whole family, all his possessions, and he goes. But we see after he's traveled a thousand miles or, or so, a famine hits. And we see that Abram is left to wander the desert. And we know that... It's about 25 years from the time that he was initially called to the time that he actually makes his way to Egypt. So for 25 years, he's in silence. 25 years, he's kind of just making his way through the desert, waiting to hear from God. Do you ever feel like you're in the desert spiritually? Yeah. Kind of like, hey, I'm just waiting, God. I've been faithful, but I'm waiting to hear from you. I'm waiting to hear something. You know, but like us, in these moments, in these trials, what does Abraham do? He doesn't look back to God. He looks to himself. You can imagine being Abram in this situation where he has his whole family. They're hungry. They need food. So he decides, like any of us would probably feel too, like, I got to do something. I have to provide for my family. You can imagine him having these arguments in his head of, you know, God, I left because you told me to. You told me you were going to bless me. And now I'm out here and I'm going to die in the desert. I got to do something. I got to move my family. You know, the, the thing about going to Egypt is a popular choice. <laughs> when you start thinking about yourself throughout the Old Testament. We see that Jacob moves down there. Brings his whole family when Joseph gives him aid, but then what ends up happening is the whole nation of Israel is enslaved to the um, uh, Egyptian pharaoh. We see that kings later on will make treaties in times of need and they themselves become subjects. Always a bad move to turn away from God. Let's continue reading here in verse 14. It says, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that uh, Sarai was a very beautiful woman. There it's saying that at this, just a side note, Sarai is about 65, 70 years old. 
And say, man, she was a beautiful woman. What it's, what it's saying here is that, man, she was a woman was like the complete package. Wow. That she was a woman of standing and respect. And people notice there's something different about her. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool to have that written about yourself in the Bible. The age of 65 or 70, right? And in verse 15, it says, When Pharaoh's um, officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. We'll stop right there. We see here that Abram... His bad choices continue. His bad choices continue in the fact that he is thinking about himself. And he comes up with this plan. He comes up with, that, with this plan completely out of fear. He realizes that his wife is so beautiful that others will want to steal her away. And to do that, they would have to kill him. Now, upon reading this, you might think to yourself, that's a pretty crazy society. But even our own King David... Did that, didn't he? He killed Uriah in order to take his wife. This actually was not that uncommon. And sadly, even in our own biblical history. And so Abraham's plan was basically to trick a normal citizen. That a man would say, I want her as my wife. And then he would basically go along with it for the amount of time that the famine was there. And he would basically hold off the wedding. Say, you know what? She's not, she's not ready yet. My sister's not ready to get married. And so his idea was, you know what? I'm going to keep my needs being met. And I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. But of course, God steps in and does something a little different there. Pharaoh comes in. And now, Abram can't say no to Pharaoh. Pharaoh can do what he wants. And of course, he takes her to be his wife. And at this moment, we see the whole plan... That was brought about from Adam and Eve in the very beginning is in jeopardy. The seed of man is now in jeopardy. His line, his people is now in jeopardy because of Abram's failure of faith. Let's continue on in verse 17. It says, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, now we see that God steps in. God steps in and kind of takes charge of the situation. I love the fact that we kind of see God standing at a distance saying, I'm going to watch how this plays out here with, with my servant Abram. Yeah. Abram, you're making the wrong choices again and again. I'm going to step in and make this right. And he brings a disease. He brings a plague onto Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh now turns to the only thing that is different in his life at this moment, which is Sarai, and says, you know what? Something's not right. Some people believe that Sarah herself informed Pharaoh of, of the truth. You know, and this wasn't a leap for Pharaoh to think that maybe something's wrong here. Because anytime there was a disease or a plague or something bad would happen, they would look to the gods for the reason. And he, we see that Pharaoh confronts Abram and rebukes him. Get out. You ever been rebuked by, by the world? When God's got to use the world to rebuke you? Whew. 
you're in a bad place. I can think of times in my life where I've totally turned my back on God and walked the other way. And God has used people from the world to rebuke me like no other. You know, and Abram at this moment is commanded to leave and to take everything. We see there's a slight detour of God's plan. But yet God's plan is back on track. You know, upon reading this text, God allows trials in our lives, doesn't he? He allows what I'm going to call desert times. Desert times when you're thinking to yourself, this is not what I had in mind, God. Abraham probably thought the same thing to himself. This is not the way I had it planned in my mind. Maybe you're in one of those moments right now. But I'm sure all of us can at least find one time in our life when that was true. We experience trials, hardships, challenges in our faith. Now here, I just think this is Abram experiencing life. We just experience life, don't we? Famine doesn't care who you are. It just comes. That's just part of life. For our trials and our hardships and our challenges, it's just part of life. It's part of the human experience. But like we had said earlier, and like we discussed, Abram does exactly what we do. We think about self-preservation in those moments. Unfortunately, in those trials, when we should look at God, we look to ourselves. What am I going to do to fix this situation? What am I going to do to get myself out of this? We stop looking to God. We forget about what He has done in our life so far. Abraham forgot what God had done for him so far and looks at himself and says, I got to do something now. God's power has left. God is no longer in control of this situation. He stops relying on God and relies on himself. What ends up happening is we have this battle that all of us face where it becomes this... It just keeps turning off there. It becomes this argument between God's promises and the weight of life. And those go back and forth, don't they? Where trials become hard and all of a sudden... Life starts to tip the scales and God's promises don't seem as great anymore. That God doesn't seem as powerful as he once was. And those scales tip. And they kind of go back and forth throughout our life. Depending on the challenges or the situation that we find ourselves in. Now this famine was a real famine. This was a real issue. You think about not being able to feed your family and all of your servants and all of your livestock. This was a real issue. And history tells us, um, archaeologists are actually able to find about the same time there was a 300 year famine. So 300 years without food, that's a long time to be on edge. That's a long time to be wondering if God is going to take care of you. But the same for us, our trials are real. They're, They're real. We have to experience pain and suffering. Questions. We wonder why. The type of trials in our lives are real. It doesn't matter if you've been a hero in the faith for 20, 25 years, 30 years. And now you're facing a drought. You're facing a famine. You're facing some desert times. That's a real struggle. Where you've got a question. Is God still there? Is He still the same God that He was before? When I was full of faith, full of zeal. Maybe you're in the position where you can't decide whether you want to take that leap of faith. 
And you're actually wondering, can I follow God? Can I actually make it through the desert with him? Is it worth it to take this step? Maybe life is just happening for you. Maybe you've had those medical trials. Maybe that life isn't going the way that you hoped with your job or your family. And you just keep hitting the wall over and over and over again. And you've tried to find the solutions. And God just isn't making one clear to you. You can't answer the question of why. Now here we see that faith is it's a very fragile thing, isn't it? We see that Abram was directly called by God. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Abram literally had a conversation with God, with God saying, I'm going to take care of you. I, Abram, am going to bless you. Yeah. Individual conversation. And we still see that he has a failure of faith. Now, maybe you do take comfort in that. I don't know. Maybe you like that. You're like, hey, I, can, I enjoy the fact that I have some company in my failure of faith here with Abram. And we see that even our father of faith has a moment of failure. But we too have been called by God. And you know what I think? For Abram, I think he would have turned in and said, you know what? I'll trade you my personal calling from God for the whole word of God. I will trade you for this. Because I can see the whole story then. Then I'm going to know God's full plan and how that blessing is going to actually unfold. I want to know what happens. I'm just going based on a conversation I have with God. But you have the full story laid out in front of you. You have the full calling and promises and completion of those promises in front of you. That's the calling we have. But yet we still have failures of faith. Our faith can be so fragile. You know, I think what, what makes it so fragile is the silence. 25 years of silence wandering in the desert. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine your prayers. Imagine the times where you just feel like I'm just walking around, nobody's here. God's not listening. He's not taking care of me. Silence. My prayers go unanswered. Those are the times when we continually pray and pray and pray for months, years, decades. Silence. That's when our faith is really tested. That's when most of us have those failures of faith due, due to the silence. We start thinking the thoughts of, does God even care about me? Is God even there? Have I been living a lie this entire time? You know, for me, recently, um, I'll just tell you right now, it's going to be difficult to share about this, but... I've been going through my own kind of mental health struggles. And it's odd for me even to say that out loud, to be honest with you, because I think throughout my whole life, I've had close family members that have dealt with this kind of stuff. I've worked with individuals in the ministry that have dealt with this kind of stuff. And if I was to be totally honest with you, I always kind of looked at it as like, you're making this up. There's something about this that is your choice. You just need to suck it up. You need to get happy. You need to just... Move on. And that's how I kind of viewed that. So then when it came to myself, my own mental health issues, I started to think, there's no way this can be real. God, this is, this is something fake that you've put in my life that I don't know what to do with. 
in this, we're dealing with a lot of um, depression. And it would just come on, especially over, over the holidays. There's different times of the year that it really hits me. And, you know, and it, it, it's a weird feeling, to be honest with you. A weird, weird feeling where you can see it, you can feel it, but you can't do anything about it. I, and I would give myself pep talks. Give myself pep talks. That today, Jeff, you're going you're gonna to get out of this. Just go for a run. Go exercise. Go work on your motorcycle. Go do something that you enjoy. And just make your way through it. That stopped working. Where I felt like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do anything. The hardest, the hardest part about it. But I would see my own kids. And my heart would want to... Just want to go enjoy having my sons. Enjoy what God has blessed me with. But I'm like, I, can't, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing anything right now. I feel like I'm walking through sand. And I'm just, the weight is just getting pushed and piled up on top of my shoulders. And I'm not, I'm not making any progress. I want to get out. I want to move forward. I want to enjoy life. But I just can't seem to dig my way out of this. I bring it, and I would bring it to God. I would pray to God. God, I don't know what this is or why you've given me this. I feel like literally I'm losing my mind. I feel like this is not who I am normally and I don't understand. And I can't break this. I can't do this. In those times, it was difficult to see God. I would open the Psalms, and that's all I would read. Just the Psalms. I'm like, God, just let me feel the same pain that David felt. But then let me see the upside to that. Let me see that you did bless him. But I would read them, and I would get frustrated and bitter. I would read, God, you said you were going to be my refuge. You said you were going to be my strength. You said you would rescue me, but I feel like you haven't been there for me at all. I felt defeated. So what I did was, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to have to go to the doctor and get this thing figured out. And the medical system's a funny thing. When you call up a doctor and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling, they say... <laughs> They told, they told me to wait two months. Said, hey, we have an appointment in two months. And I'm like, what? Come on now. I'm actually reaching out to you and you're telling me I'm going to wait two months to actually see um, a mental health professional. I go to a therapist first. They make you go to a therapist first. And I'm explaining my life. And the therapist says, you know what? Sounds like you have bi um, bipolar disorder and you're suffering from depression. You need to go to a doctor now. And they'll write you a prescription for that. I'm like, okay, great. I have a direction. And then a doctor, then you got to wait another two months to go see that doctor. And I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. What is going on here? And I remember I put all my hope and all my faith into meeting with this doctor. Yeah. And the day of my appointment, I plugged in the address into my GPS. It brought me to the wrong building. On the other side of Virginia Beach, I called the doctor and I'm like, I don't know what happened. I put in your address that you sent me and brought me here. They said, well, why don't you rush over here and we'll try to get you in. I rush over there. I sit down in the waiting room. I'm sitting there and fill out all those, you know, stacks of paperwork. 
thinking, man, I'm finally going to get some answers. They're finally going to be able, at minimum, to, minimum, to be able to tell me what's going on. She comes out and she says, you're too late. We got to reschedule you again. And at that moment, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm just burning inside. They say, and I go, okay, okay. Well, when can you see me? It'll be another month. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I remember just getting so frustrated and walking down the stairwells, I punched the wall of the stairwell. You know, it was one of those moments I just lost it. I get, I get home and Kelly's like, what is, are, are you okay? And I'm just like, God doesn't care. He does, he's not there. He doesn't care who I am or what I've done. I read the scriptures. I pray. I've done everything he's asked me to do. And he can't even get me into a doctor appointment. What is wrong with God? Kelly was there. She will tell you. That was a conversation I'm having with her. She's like, why don't you pray? And I was like, I don't want to pray anymore. I'm done. I had a failure of faith in this moment. I don't know what it's like you like for you. I don't know where you're at in your faith. I don't know if you're in an, in an incredible time in your faith or perhaps you're in a low spot in your faith. You feel like God is just giving you silence. But it makes me wonder how God sees time. How God sees my life. <coughs> that God doesn't operate on my time scale, does he? It says that for God, one day is like a thousand, yeah. thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But at the end of the day, it's just my will versus his. It's my timetable versus his timetable. It's my plan versus his plan. It's my so-called solution versus his solution. That's why it's called faith, isn't it? Have you had a failure of faith? I think the question is, what are we going to do with those failures? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And he takes a moment to go have some time with him and God. He's tired after performing all that miracle and probably speaking and having fellowship longer than any of us have ever had a fellowship. You imagine 5,000 people that want to come talk to you and say thank you for feeding them. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go get some time, me and God. Disciples, why don't you go ahead? You go ahead and get in that boat and I'll meet you over there. And we're going we're gonna to pick up here in verse 29 of chapter 14. Okay. See that Jesus starts walking out to them on the water. And he sees Peter. Oh, well, actually, let's uh, start at verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. That Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, Peter had his 
monumental moment of faith. I mean, I'm talking like Mount Rushmore type faith here. Steps out on water. Walks on water. But then, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He puts his eyes, he starts thinking about himself that, hey, there's some big waves here. And oh, by the way, I'm on water right now. It's like his brain caught up to his faith. He was like, whoops, stepped out of the boat a little too soon here, Jesus. Notice you're kind of, I thought you were a little bit closer than this. I thought you were going to be holding my hand here for a moment. Now you want me to walk all the way out there? And we see that he sees the wind and the waves and he begins to lose faith. He begins to sink. But then what does Jesus do? Reaches out his hand and pulls him up. You know, Peter walked on water, but yet has a failure of faith. Abram was personally called by God as the chosen line. But has a failure of faith. You know, God leads and guides you and has blessed your life and has called you out. But we have failures of faith. But in the same way, Jesus reaches out his hand to pull you up. You know, whether you're in a famine in the desert, sinking in the storm, or losing your faith through life's trials, God is still faithful. You may have a failure in your faith, but God is still faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that God is always faithful. His faith in us is not dependent on your faith. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. Because too often we walk away from God. Because we feel like we're failures in our faith. That we feel like, God, I can't even go to you and pray right now. I, don't even, I can't even open up your scriptures because I don't even know if those really speak to my situation. And we turn our back on God because we feel like we're a failure in our faith. And instead of running back to Him, God just extends His hand out and says, I'm going to pull you up. You may be a failure in your faith right now, but you are not a failure. My faith... Has not stopped. Even through your failures and your faith. God is faithful. God's plan is still in action. Even when you have failures in your faith. God's faith isn't ever shaken. By your failure in your faith. God is still watching over you. Even in your failures of your faith. God is still God. Even in the failures of your faith. The incredible thing is, is that you're not defined by your failures of faith. Your failure doesn't define you. That's not what God sees when he looks down. When he extends his hand to you. God still extends his grace despite our failures in faith. We're, We're defined by a God who continues to be faithful. Even though we continue to abandon our own faith. You know, we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks a lot about faith. And I don't want us to get confused. Faith is, in, is absolutely crucial and critical to us being able to have a relationship with God. So I don't want you leaving here feeling like I don't have to have faith and everything's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you can have your failure in faith. And God continues to be faithful. Yeah. Abram. See that he doubted the blessings of God. 
We see that he turns his back on God, goes to Egypt, sells his wife basically over to protect his own skin, protect his own family, to protect himself. But God still blesses him as, we'll, as, we'll, as we continue to read through Genesis. God still has chosen him. And he's still, the promise still stands that he's going to bless him and turn him into a great nation. But Abram never sees those promises fulfilled. All those promises are only fulfilled through Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, all the promises are yes through Jesus. And those are the same promises, the same blessings that are extended to you this morning. That fulfillment, the call of Abraham himself is fulfilled in you sitting here this morning. And the fact that you can have your sins forgiven... The fact that you have the Holy Spirit, the fact that Abraham's seed did become an incredible nation through his son, Jesus. You know, for me, I'm still fighting to have faith through my trials. I'll be real. It's been good. I'm feeling better about things in life. You know, I've been, uh, went back to my second doctor appointment, actually got in. Uh, I talked to them. You know, I joke with Kelly. I'm like, yeah, I'm on my crazy medicine. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really care anymore, to be honest with you. Obviously, I'm telling you guys here. You know what I mean? Whatever. Like, this is what God has given me to deal with. This is a trial. And you know what else he did? He made medical science. So I'm all about that. I'll take it. Help me out, God. Thank you for blessing me through the doctors when they want to see me. And take my money. So thank you for that. You know, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not done. I'm not, I'm not out of the woods yet. My faith, I'm going to say I'm not in that low spot anymore, amen? But I'm still fighting. The other thing I know is that this is not going to be the last fight. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a failure probably again in my life. So I'm sure all of you are going to have moments of failure in your faith. But I've got to remember that God is still faithful. That God remains faithful no matter how big my failure in faith is. That He still will extend His hand to rescue me. Even when I have claimed that He has forgotten me, doesn't exist, and doesn't care. Not sure where you're at today in your faith. Maybe you're feeling like you're having a mountaintop experience. That your face is right there next to Peter on Mount Rushmore of faith. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. And maybe you're feeling, man, I had to barely drag myself here. Because I don't even know what I'm doing here. Wherever you're at, I want to leave us with this. That God is always faithful. God is always faithful. And the odd thing is, is that gives us more faith. That increases our faith. That increases my faith to know that God is still faithful even though I may fail. And that allows me to continue in my faith, to continue in my fight, and continue in my walk with God. So church, God remains faithful. Even in your failures, in my failures, God remains faithful. Amen. Thank you.